Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. This is the Love Rugby League podcast, bringing you the latest rugby league news, talking points, and exclusive interviews. Listen as fellow fans and experts discuss the burning issues in the game and share their bold predictions. We're out every Wednesday to look ahead to your rugby league weekend. Hello and welcome to the big interview. I'm Josh McAllister, and this week we're joined all the way from Australia by the 2010 NRL Premiership winning halfback. He represented New South Wales and played for London Broncos over in England. It's Jamie Sauer. Jamie, thanks for joining us. No worries, Josh. Thanks for having me, mate. How, how are you? You just mentioned then before the recording that yesterday's win. Must be pretty pleased with that one. Yeah, mate, it's a huge win for the club. Uh, very proud day, obviously, Anzac Day for... St George Illawarra and, and the Roosters is such a special occasion and a special game. And um, sitting in the coach's box yeah, yesterday when the final siren rang, it was uh, a really special moment. We haven't won one since 2017 and it sort of felt like, yeah, we've, we've played a couple of times this year. We haven't put our, our best performance out there and we've um, yeah, let it get away from us. But the last two weeks, I feel like we've scrapped really well and, you know, we've played for each other in certain situations and by no means is it perfect. Uh, but on those big days, sometimes you just need to find a way. So, uh, yeah, it's always, a, um, I guess, easier, not easier week, but a, a more enjoyable week uh, when the club or the team has won. So, uh, yeah, a little day off today, uh, start cutting up to video and get ready for uh, the West Tigers on Sunday. They've won two in a row as well. So it's a big week for, for everyone. Yeah, two good, two good wins behind West Tigers. I'd like to go into your coaching sort of career towards the end of the interview. Just we'll discuss your playing career at, at first, if that's all right. One thing I'm always keen to know from players is if they remember their debuts and how big of a moment that is for a player. Yeah, I'll always remember my debut for for good and for bad. Um, you know, I played at the SFS, the old Sydney football stadium, which you know, if you're a true rugby league supporter, you'll know what that is. It's called Allianz now, but um, yeah, the old Sydney football stadium where all the grand finals were played up until 1999, I think it was. So I uh, made my debut there in front of about 7,000 on a Sunday afternoon, 8th of May, uh, 2005. Uh, the Newcastle Knights were playing and that they had about 16 or 17 injuries uh, out of their top 30. So it was sort of a, a bit of a free hit um, for, for me to come out and make my debut. Gus Gould actually coached me during the week because Ricky Stewart was in origin. Um, and then Ricky came back the day before. So I went out there. We had a set move to kick to um, Joel Monaghan on the, on the right-hand side, uh, which all you would know in Warrington, um, how, how good he was in catching the ball. So the pass would come out the back. I kicked score but then Ricky came back and swapped uh, Amos Roberts who obviously played over in England as well um, but that was my probably my only involvement um, that was the good side of it uh, the reason why I'll never forget it is the next morning um, I woke up and found out that dad passed away so um, it was a uh, 
huge roller coaster and uh, learning experience for me at 21, I think I was. And uh, yeah, it was really, really weird. So um, again, you know, remembering for the good of making my debut, but um, yeah, also, yeah, the sombering moment of what happened the next morning. Yeah, yeah, on and off the field, sort of different emotions there. Uh, thanks for opening up on on that. Well, you move then to to St George. Would you say that was probably the the best move in your career? That's obviously where you went and won the NRL Premiership. Yeah, it was it was weird because in like I had success in the lower grades at the Roosters. I mean, I'd made three grand finals in a row. We were undefeated in the under twenties. You know, the only team to go undefeated um, in any grade you know, for, for 30 or 40 years and we won 30 in a row. So, um, yeah, I sort of felt like I was developing really well. The Roosters, we made two reserve grade grand finals in a row. One we lost uh, comfortably, but the other one we lost in Golden Point. And then I got into first grade and never really found my feet. You know, Ricky Stewart um, got sacked and then uh, Chris Anderson came in and probably wasn't my style of coach. You know, it was a bit more old school and I didn't really... Um, get on with Chris too much but um, you know once the opportunity came to join the Dragons I just felt like I was at home and you know Brownie gave me an opportunity but I think everyone forgets like obviously we won the, the comp and the, the good times under Wayne but I had a year and a half there of really trying to prove myself to the players at the club uh, and also you know the fans and the coaching staff that were there before Wayne got there because they'd had two really good sides they probably should have won a comp in 05 and 06 and um, in one of those years, they had, I think they had 13 internationals or, or rep players in there out of their 17. So I sort of had to try and prove myself. And I was only a young half still learning the game. I'd only played 30 games when I went there. And uh, by the time Wayne came, yeah, it was sort of, I was still learning the game and Wayne opened me up to so many different things. So um, looking back on it, of course, it was the best move. But um, yeah, it was sort of, uh, it was a bit of a struggle, I guess, early on to, to prove to people that I could play, but also even to yourself, you doubt yourself whether you can perform on those levels. So, um, yeah, definitely once Wayne got there, everything sort of accelerated and, um, yeah, I really enjoyed my time. Yeah, of course, Wayne now at, at the Dolphins for, for next season. I can see, obviously, this will be podcast, but on camera, there's a blue shirt behind you. Yeah. I presume that's got a, a special meaning to you. Yeah, it's a state of origin one. Um, I've got uh, when I. It's funny because I never had memorabilia, and um, yeah, with my wife, we bought we bought our first unit, and uh, we moved in. And she said, because I'm a huge NBA fan, um, and she said, "Oh, you can have the hallway to hang some of your jerseys." And I said, "Okay, how many do I get?" And she said, "You can have four pieces in the in the hallway." I said, "All right." So rather than put four jerseys up, I put two NBA jerseys. Larry Bird's my favourite player. So I put a sign, two signed jerseys of his up there and uh, my Indigenous one um, and my grand final one in the hallway. And the State of Origin one got bumped. And she said, that you want your State of Origin one in the hallway? I said, no, we lost that game. So I <laughs> put it in the office. But again, like, you know, I sort of, now that I'm coaching and um, you know, I coach the NRLW side, the, the women's side, and um, they sort of, uh, my captain did like a little quiz on me and brought back some of my memories. And I was like, man, I, I couldn't have wished for or hoped for any more in my career. And, you know, winning a competition is everything. Uh, but also, you know, representing my state at a time where I didn't think I was going to get even get close. And, you know, to line up against Darren Lockyer and Smith and Thurston and Slater and Inglis and Cronk all in the same team, probably the greatest ever state of origin team. Um, yeah, it was pretty cool. Uh, but yeah, that's that's sitting in the background now. Yeah, we, we obviously have only ever seen those games on the TV from over there, but they just the atmosphere, everything about it, the lead up is just so intense and it's it's massive, isn't it? In Australia and even over here, we've got I know even in Blackpool, which isn't really a rugby league town, even that opens early to show the to show the game. It's just massive, isn't it? Yeah, it is, and I probably got exposed to it uh, in '09. We finished first, and then played. We played Parramatta the last week of the semi-final of the round games, beat them 37-0, and then played them the next week. And that's when Jaron Hayne crashed into Cogra, and 
you know, blew our part, our dreams of winning a comp and we went to Brisbane and, and that was probably my first real experience of being in a hostile environment uh, and the excitement around uh, Suncorp Stadium because they all wanted Lockie, uh, it was end up being his last game, but uh, they all wanted the Broncos to win. We lose that game. Uh, sorry, no, nine, I beg your pardon. We lose that game to the Broncos. Um, and then 2010, you know, probably talk about later, but that was like a, a totally different experience. So by the time I'd played Origin, I'd sort of been in the pressure cooker a little bit. Um, but, and I thought I was really prepared, but I actually like had no idea, you know, going to Queensland, making your debut at Lane Park. And, yeah, there's, I always made a joke, there's 100,000 there that night because all the Queenslanders got two heads. So, um, but it was just a real, like I'd heard all the stories about your phone, you know, your phone gets rung in, in the middle of the night up there, um, and it did. Uh, you know, the, the, the hot water always takes a little bit longer. Like, this is all, you know, hearsay, and then it happens. You know, you walk down the street, like Ricky Stewart said, don't don't walk down the street by yourself. I'm like, man, what do you mean? He's like, go in numbers because someone will walk past and, and Queensland and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, you know, so that, that whole experience um, is really, really cool to look back on and, and uh, yeah, now I'm I'm helping uh, assistant coach for the NRLW, or big part of the women's state of origin in June. Um, I'll get to experience from the coach side of things, so I'm I'm enjoying that. But yeah, you're right. The environment, the excitement around state of origin is uh, probably equivalent to a, a Man Manchester derby, I would say, in the English Premier League or Arsenal Tottenham or you know uh, one of those ones, but. Yeah, it's it's probably um, it means a lot more to so many people because it's only three times a year or one. You might only get one game a year now because they're travelling it everywhere. And you you mentioned that you you captain quizzed you on your career. It is a career full of highs. You know, some quality players go throughout their career and they don't win the trophy. You won two thousand and ten, and then I think your first taste against the Super League side two thousand eleven World Club Challenge. I think against Wigan was it? Yeah, and yeah, to win a competition, I think in you know, nine. Um, yeah, I, I went to bed because we'd finished first by a long way and, um, yeah, I didn't feel like we'd be beaten. And then to have it snatched from you and get a chance to win in 2010, um, it was honestly like a dream come true and very proud moment. And like I said, being a sports fan in America, it's all about getting the ring, right? So, you know, to get a ring and, and have that special moment and then sort of reshift the focus because, we actually, we didn't approach the World Club Challenge like most other teams where you go and prepare and all this kind of stuff. We flew in and flew out. Like it was a, a hit and run mission because we wanted to concentrate on the NRL. So uh, we didn't get over there and train for two weeks or adjust to the climate. We had a couple of days. Uh, we got off the plane pretty much and went straight to a training paddock and, and trained. Uh, just to get the cobwebs out. So um, going in and, and playing Wigan, I, all I remember is it being bloody cold um, and and obviously hearing about, um, yeah, Sam Tompkins and Amos Roberts. And then we got out there and because um, I, I was pretty confident. Like I was, I guess it's had arrogant, but I was like, we're playing the best competition in the world and, and no one's going to ever doubt that. But um, like I'd watched these games growing up and I was like, you had seen the Australians dominate over there, you know, from Lockyer, from the Melbournes, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like, we've had pretty good success over there. Um, then George Carmont scores the first try, a chip straight over my head, and the crowd just went up. And I'd never, like, I'd experienced 80,000 two weeks in a row, like four months earlier, and they were on top of you, the Wigan fans. I was like, man, this is, like, super loud like there's I don't even know how many people here but it was super loud and then uh BMO scored in the corner and then uh George Carmon I, I it was a 20 meter restart and I kicked it and we just went down and they caught us napping and passed the ball and Carmon scored a double and we were like wow um it was 12 I think it was yeah it was 12 no, 10, 10, 10, 4, I think. And then we 10, 6, 10 all. Then at half time, um, I just remember Sam Tompkins going in and it was, he was ended up being 15, 14. He kicked the field goal at half time. I was like, that was really smart. I was just sort of in awe of, of the fact that he had, because I like the game management style of things. 
Um, but and what people don't remember is wasn't there. He'd gone home because his mother was sick. So Steve Price was in charge um, of what was going on. So second half comes around. Bmos makes another break. He's already scored two tries. Best winger ever to play, in my opinion. Um, and then Cameron King, who'd only played five minutes for us in 2010 um, season, the last round. Uh, he's over there getting a chance to try and get his, you know, get himself into first grade. Scores a try, tears his peck in in five minutes on the field. Um, and then yeah, it was 20 to 15. And if you watch the game back, we make a far, another fast break, and I set up for the field goal, and. Um, it, I, I, like we had a massive overlap and Coops is running back and he's abusing me. I don't know if you can swear on the podcast, but I can imagine, you can imagine what he's saying. Yeah, if this, possible, this and that. And I slotted the field goal and it was 21-15 with about, I think, not long to go maybe. Um, and all I remember is like when we won, I was like, we're, we're the best team in the world here, you know? And then uh, Wayne rang and he just said, in his wily old Fox voice, he just said, what were you doing with the field goal? I said, well, it took us out to six. Yeah, like we couldn't be beaten there. They could tie us, but they had to chase the game six. And I just didn't want to lose by a point. And he goes, very smart. Enjoy the beers in Hong Kong. So, um, yeah, when Wayne sort of says that stuff, it was pretty cool. But, um, yeah, that was my first experience in the Super League. And I was like, man, this is this is crazy. Yeah, it's interesting that you talked about this sort of hostile environment because Elijah Taylor was on a Super League podcast a couple of weeks ago, obviously, Elijah Taylor played New Zealand Warriors, West Tigers. I love Elijah Taylor. I played with him at Penrith. I text cool. him regularly. He's one of my favourite players that I've ever played with. He's one of the most loving, um, caring I've been involved with. I love ET. Yeah, the podcast, he, he was great on it. From his from his career, from the, what happened with his manager and how forgiving he was and faith. And one of the things he, he mentioned was was the crowds in Super League and you mentioned it with Wigan and he said, you know, you're right that you play at these massive 60,000 capacity stadiums, but he's compared it to 7,000 in Castleford and he said it's just because it's so close and so tight that he's never heard anything quite like it. And there's some sort of differences in the chants as well. I'm not sure if if crowds chant as much in Australia than in nah. Super League. Yeah, so um, are we, we going to talk about my first stint in London? Do you want yeah, to go to well, that? Yeah, we, we, it's a nice transition into that, yeah, because I've yeah. started with the So <laughs> I had two stints with the London Broncos. Uh, the first one, I'd signed with Penrith. Uh, I'd felt fallen out with Steve Price. Uh, he was at Warrington. And uh, we've mended those bridges, by the way, for anyone that's uh, out there still thinking that we, we don't talk. You know, we, we've mended those bridges. But um, And they were trying to get a trade done where I'd go to Penrith early and Gus... Gould said, oh, just go to England if you can and refresh and come back. So Tony Ray, um, the great Tony Ray, uh, tries to get me over there and I end up flying over. And um, I flew over on the Saturday. I got the last flight out, uh, flew cattle class. I tried to fly business class, which they were going to pay for because I wanted to get over there and play, right? Because um, I'd been playing reserve grade here and I wanted to get back in to try and get fit again. Um, and then... Couldn't do it, couldn't get a seat. So I flew cattle class, wore the tights, everything, get off the plane. And um, we're playing Salford, I think it was, in my first game. And uh, Sniffer gets me from the airport and he's like, what are you thinking? Uh, we'll get you ready for next week. I said, man, I'm playing today. I said, he's like, no, you're not. I said, just get, let me get some rest. And I remember the Wallabies played, I think the Wallabies might have played New Zealand or England or something. And he come picked me up and he said, you're not playing. Surely you're not playing. I said, man, just give me like a can of V, a Powerade, I'll be good to go. Anyway, I was sitting there and I warmed up, did all this, introduced myself, knew a few of the Aussie guys because it was Michael Robinson, a few of the Manly boys that I'd sort of known and that. And um, they put this shirt on me and I was like, what's this? And he's like, oh, if you were on the bench, you got to wear a shirt and say you're on the bench. I'm like, okay. And the scoreboard's ticking over, ticking over, and we're getting beat. And I'm looking up at Sniffer and I'm like... <laughs> And I called her, I didn't know who the trainer's name was at the time. I called him over and said, you can tell Sniffer, if I'm not going on right now, I'm not playing, I'm not playing next week. And he's like, what? I said, tell him I'm going on. So we went on and we ended up losing. But um, my first experience is like this game sort of, I was excited because it was a bit more open. It was a little bit less technical in terms of the ruck speed and all that kind of stuff. 
Um, but I was over there for one thing. I was trying to get the the, the club challenge. Uh, oh, sorry, beg your pardon, the, uh, the cup. Uh, we we're in the last eight. We played Sheffield Eagles at a, a dingy ground. Uh, we, we scraped home against them. Uh, then we drew Wigan. And, man, I was like, we went on the bus up there. And, and I don't know if it was just my confidence or, or arrogance, but I was like, you know what? I think if we just threw everything at them and just tried, you know, we, we might be all right. Like, uh, we went, I think it was about 15, 16 minutes. I go the wrong side. Uh, they score. It's, and then all of a sudden, it's just a rain rainfall like an avalanche of points um i think they beat us 72 nil but the crowd that day were just chanting and chanting like they were they had chance for everyone and they were just giving it to me and i was like i'd never i kicked off 13 times that day i think like i'd never experienced anything like that ever my whole career i'd never lost anything like that i'd lost 30 to 10 yeah 40 to 12 all that kind of stuff i'd never lost 72 nil pat richard scored I think he scored like 36 points or something, but um, that experience of the crowds, the chanting, the relentlessness and the passion excited me, but also devastated me because I was on the end of it. But um, yeah, we lost that. And then I was back on a plane uh, back home as soon as the season finished. Yeah, I think that game was at Lee Sports Village, if I remember rightly, uh, quarterfinal yeah. of London. Yeah which I think it, it might have been on, on BBC, but not 100%. And obviously then your second stint with London came in the championship, which I imagine, you know, a, a world difference to NRL and, you know, even potentially Super League because suddenly you're at grounds like Dewsbury and Batley, which must be completely different to, to NRL. Yeah, we, it was, you know, I, I'd sort of at Penrith. I'd gone over to England the second time undecided about my future. Like I wanted to keep playing, but my back had caught up with me. I'd had three surgeries the year before. Um, you know, I'd played 10 years in the in the NRL. Um, and I went over there to the championship thinking if I could just play well, um, which I think I did. Like if you look back, you know, I was coming over there to try and get promotion and that didn't work. But we beat Salford, you know, a Super League team at the time. We beat them. Um, and we also beat Batley, you know, a, a couple of times. So it sort of felt like we could have got there, but Leeds were just Leeds. Like that was when the the Super League was sort of like, you know, if you have all the players, you're, you're there. But, you know, that was just still the, the Super League teams were still above the championship teams where it's a little bit different now with Toulouse and all that kind of stuff. So um, when I went to the championship, yeah, I had Henderson and, you know, we sort of had differing opinions on, on a few things. Um, and we were similar in age and that was part of my ego knowing that I'd done it all and, you know, I could potentially um, help a little bit more, you know, and the differing opinions like that and he didn't like that and and that's cool. Like, we're all big boys. We all grow up and and learn on the run. So, um, but once that last game finished, I remember just sort of, you know, we played, I think we played Batley the last game and that, in that super eights thing and yeah i was done like i packed i told my wife i said i'm i'm, I'm finished like i'm retired she's like no nah, you know because i'd sort of been holding out hope i always wanted to try and play for st helens or wigan or one of the big clubs um but yeah for whatever reason maybe it was my attitude at the time maybe it was my style of play like no one had ever sort of came knocking and that was cool like i didn't hold any grudges or that um against it but yeah, once I, I went to the game against Batley, we played at Yearling, the, the old turf, you know, fake turf, which I'd never experienced. I'm like, what do you mean you don't play on real grass? Like, this is crazy. Um, and then, yeah, I just, I packed my bags and I got on a flight, I think an hour after the game. I was just, I was out of there. I checked out and retired. But, yeah, this, it was hard, the championship, because you're on buses. And not, the, not that I'm not too good for buses, but it's just like, going to Batley where the ground's on a hill um, and you can grub a 40-20, like stuff like that. And, you know, the, the training wasn't hard. Yeah, it wasn't um, organised. It was just, it was like playing park footy. And I didn't enjoy that coming from a structured system that I was at Penrith. So interesting you mentioned Sales because I think that was one of the teams at the time that was sort of 
rumored to be in a race, you know, a name like yourself, all that experience in the NRL, state of origin. I think they had Luke Walsh at the time, he was injured. So I, I'm quite surprised that St. Helens didn't go, didn't, wasn't in contact. No, no clubs that when they heard a name like yourself was available and coming over to England, I'm quite surprised that no one like St. Helens, Wigan, or even your Salfords came in. Yeah, and like I'm, I'm an acquired taste, I've been told, whatever that means. Like I'm a bit of a weird cat. So, um, yeah, I've spoken about it openly. Like 2015 was the worst year of my life. I had three surgeries. Um, I was struggling to hold on. You know, 14, I played in a major semi-final. Um, yeah, 15, I had actually four surgeries because I had my ankle done and then my back three times. Um, going through a divorce, going through depression, um, suffering from anxiety, all that kind of stuff. I was literally um, bandaging myself up mentally, uh, physically to play, and that was getting me through life. So, um Whatever they'd heard or seen, yeah, probably may have turned them off a little bit. But, um, yeah, once I got over there, I, I just felt like even um, my kicking and stuff like that may have may have got me up to the north. Because London's a beautiful spot to live, but if you want to play the big games, you're not playing them in London. So, yeah, I knew I had to get up north and get to one of those sort of big power clubs. But uh, for whatever reason, that didn't happen. But like I said, that's all good. Yeah, I mean, even your surgeries then, I was watching your interview, I think, Bloke in a Bar a couple of years ago, and you, you, you discussed concussions. I think you said when Bennett stayed in a hotel room with you one night because he was that worried mm. about concussions. It is, it is hard to believe what rugby league players put their bodies through. You know, you, you mentioned again on this podcast that fans just tweet abuse or, or their opinion. You know, it's sport, people have opinion, but rugby league players put their body through hell. A car crash every week, I think you described it as. Yeah, it's um, it's funny because I've always been labelled um, soft, uh, you know, because I don't put big hits on or whatever else. Um, but if you sit back and think about, yeah, you know, three disectomies, so that's where they shave the disc uh, off your nerve in your back so that you can have feeling in your legs. Um, three in the same spot, you know, an ankle reconstruction, shoulder reconstruction, been knocked out probably near twenty times uh, from my whole career. Yeah, from four to 30 32 um, AC joints, getting needled to play, all that kind of stuff. Like, uh, I don't think you, yeah, you know, if you put in Wayne, you know, the night that he stayed with me, he was concerned because that was sort of pre, I played pre concussion protocol as well. Like, you know, I'd played in games where I was knocked out and kept playing, you know, because you were weak if you didn't keep playing. Um, and then the last one in 15, uh, in Canberra with, with Jack Whiten, if you if you Google on YouTube, uh, people always say, oh, yeah, he's soft all life. You Google that hit from Jack Whiten on me in 29 and 2015, um, like it's, yeah, like I spent the night in hospital. Like, <laughs> so there's nothing soft about that. So um, I don't think people appreciate. And the easiest one for us to say is, well, you've never played, so you've never experienced it. Yeah, but and then we're the bad guys for jumping back, and I've jumped back a couple of times, and I've had people uh, once I went into the media, you know, sort of say, you know, you don't always have to fight those battles; you can just let them go. So I've had to really mature over the last couple of years, and it's been the best thing for me is every now and then to, as uh, Peter General, who coached Hull, he's at the Dragons now. He'd say sometimes I just need to give you a little whack over the nose with the paper, um, just to remind you. Yeah, you know, uh, what you're doing, or yeah, you know, and then that's good. I think that's you know, I was ego driven my whole career because my job was on the line um, every single week, and that yeah you know, forces you to to play with injury, it forces you to to you know maybe lie about things and, and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I think that I've matured the last couple of years, but it also has made me look back and go, man, like my body's. Look at the neck of a bloody 75-year-old. Like, it's ridiculous. So um, to the people that are listening and say, oh, you know, you, you didn't play in the middle, you couldn't have played back in the eight. Man, I played 215 games and that's just at NRL. So that's, you add the other 500 games that I played getting tackled or tackled, trying to tackle someone, uh, it's a lot of damage on the body. Yeah, and as you say, you're in the, in the limelight a lot over there. I've heard an alarm, so it's... I won't keep you too long if that's something you need to. No, no, you got. I've got plenty of time. I was just looking. Um, I just have my nine thirty, so go as long as you like. It's yeah. Oh, nice one. You're saying the limelight. Even a player like Ben Hunt, obviously at the Dragons, ever since that drop, the limelight's on him every week, and 
and the media and fans are just picking into him and everything he does. And it's not like, like Super League is big over here, but it might not be scrutinised as much as the NRL. And, you know, it's probably our football over here is, is what rugby league is in Australia. Yeah, I think that, um, yeah, I made some comments when I retired because I'd experienced both Super League and um, NRL. You know, I thought the Super League was five or ten years behind in terms of exposure and being the main sport. Of course, football's the main sport over there. And, um, yeah, that rightly so. Like They've got the world's best athletes playing right on your doorstep. So, uh, But in terms of coverage and stuff like that, like you, know, you really have to fight for everything that you get um, for the rugby league. So uh, you put that in with um, the style and, and everything that goes behind like that, and you, you translate it back to Australia and, you know, the Ben Hunt, you know, Ben Horn, we're all haunted. I mean, I'm get people come to me and go, how does Inglis's Fend feel? You know, that was 2009, round one. Um, the Bulldogs, when you took a dive against the Bulldogs to win the game, that was 2009. Well, that's 13 years ago. So I think fans are passionate. <laughs> Excuse me, fans are passionate. What makes it worse is um, I think uh, you know, people are that invested, whether it be financially, you know, they've got their own cash on it or, or they've got, um, you know, they're at the game and they're that hyped up that sometimes they feel like that's a free pass to say or do whatever they want. And, and social media has made that worse. You know, social media has made it thing to anyone, anytime anywhere without any consequence and we saw recently Mike Tyson you know a guy got up in his face and he punched a piss out of him because that's the old school way which is I don't know how old you are Josh but I'm 38 like that's man you talk shit at school you're going to get punched in the face so um, now Twitter conscious of that and my behavior around that uh, more now that I'm in the coaching world but I just feel like um, that whole exposure and everything like that. Like yesterday at Anzac Day, I was getting sprayed. I, I don't even do anything on game day. I just make sure that those players got lollies if they need them and I'm getting sprayed. So um, I, th I think sometimes we just get lost in that hole anywhere, anytime, anyone, anything sort of thing, um, mental state. And we don't actually think about like, yeah, Ben Hunt's got a family. I've got a family. You know, if people are talking shit about me, I can handle that. But you bring my, like I had a guy probably about three months ago, um, say some really like demeaning stuff about my daughters um, and, and private message me and all that kind of stuff. And there was two ways to handle it. Yeah, I typed out a, a big like, well, just come and meet me and we'll sort it out. You know, like I had it ready to go. And, I, and this is my wife. I mean, she takes a lot of the credit for the person I am today. But yeah, I sent it to her first and she just said, look, he, this guy just wants you to bite and just wants you to have drama um, or you can just walk away and block him. And, you know, for me, that's my me coping mechanism at the time. Read, laugh, send it to my close, close mates so they can laugh with me and then I'll delete it. Um, so if you've ever bagged me, Josh, I've probably done that and then never written back to you. So that's how I cope with it. But, you know, I also need to be a role model for my girls and say that, you know, you can be, the bigger person and walk away. So uh, it's a tough one, but yeah, I think the social media aspect has made it a lot. You can't do anything right anymore. Even if you score an amazing try, if you miss the tackle one second later, oh, they, they show the missed tackle. Like it's like, it's ridiculous. So um, I think, yeah, I'm glad that I got out when I did because the scrutiny right now on our players is worse than ever. It was just going to go into your kicking. Obviously you had a bit of a unique kicking style, a bit of a bounce. I don't know if you originally went into the Dragons as a bit of a kicking coach, but you do have a bit of a unique kicking bounce, didn't you, in your playing days? Yeah, it was, I was a, when I came to Sydney, or when I went to Canberra, beg your pardon, I was under Michael Maguire at Canberra, and uh, he was my first senior coach. And when I left Wagga, my stepdad said to me, look, you better start goal kicking, and I was a terrible goal kicker. And he goes, they're going to always pick a halfback that can goal kick over one that can't. So I practiced and practiced and practiced. And, you know, I kicked a little bit. Uh, I kicked a lot in the juniors at Roosters, obviously. But when I got to first grade, I just had the yips when I went to St. George and I wasn't even hitting the ball properly. So I actually went and worked with Graham Arnold, who 
he's a Socceroos coach if you follow football. Um, yeah, he's a, probably a world name, I would say, in soccer. Um, and we kicked it at Cogra by ourselves and he just explained to me about uh, getting momentum and, and running into the ball. He said that David Beckham and Cristiano Ronaldo don't walk up to the ball and, and kick it, you know. So um, I don't know where the, the marching or the bounce came from, but it just sat, sat nicely with me. And obviously with my OCD and wanting it every way, I had to have the ball and the tee the same way. I had to have the same routine. Um, it ended up working for me. So, yeah, once I became... Um, conscious of that and, and worked really hard at it, it sort of made it easier to be able to rep, repeat that motion at the same time. And then, you know, going into my kicking coaching last year at the Dragons, I was working with Zach Lomax, who's got a beautiful strike of the ball. And um, I sort of, I, I mean, I've been coached by Daryl Halligan, Craig Fitzgibbon, Graham Arnold, you know, all those, all those three guys have all been great at something in there, you know, Fitzy was probably the best forward goal kicker that we've ever seen with Cameron Smith. But, you know, I picked up things along the way. So now in my coaching, I can sort of approach things a little bit differently. And I don't mind thinking outside of the box. I'd rather, you know, try something new and, and see how that goes down versus, um, you know, the run of the mill, you know, this kind of stuff. So um, I think that that's helped coaching in a way that I can think outside the box and that I am a little bit weird because, uh, my first season as NRLW coach, I probably um, surprised the girls with that. You know, I sort of said to them, I don't coach women, I coach footy players. So, you know, we're going to do shit that's outside the box just so we can try and get the best result. But um, with the kicking, yeah, it was. I love, I love watching good kickers. I love watching chip and chases and field goals. You know, Jackson Hastings who's kicked two in the last, oh, sorry, one. He missed two on, on Saturday night. I was calling the action and, um, I actually thought he got his setup wrong. I hope he gets it wrong again this week. But yeah, I just love the um, the management around it and, and the players having to think on the run. So uh, that's the the kicking side of thing is an underrated thing, Josh. That yeah, you know, we just think it happens. Yeah, and and the great teams of any era will tell you that if you plan your last plays and you execute them to the best, you're going to win the game more often than not. Whereas the teams that and young players that get in now, it's like the last and they run in and go, oh, it's the last, I've got to kick it. You've got to have a plan, a reason, you know, why or what or who or when and how we're going to execute that kick every single time. Because when you're playing against Billy Slater down in Melbourne, you can't afford to make it up. You know, when you're playing against Billy Slater in Origin, you can't afford to make it up against him. So I enjoy that aspect and probably that's why, um, you know, I, I got the job with Hook is he saw the passion for it. Um, calling the action with me on, on 2GB that I'm right into that stuff. I'd be keen as a, as a playmaker yourself, I, I, everyone sort of in the UK, Salford Wigan, I'd be keen to, you've, you've just a short opinion on, on Jackson Aston so far. West Tigers look completely different, I think. Much more organised when he's in there. He obviously fell out of favour when he was in the NRL first time, came over here, sort of made a name of his, with him for himself with Salford Wigan. He's gone back with West Tigers and looks like he came over, sort of, I suppose, a boy, and he's gone over a man who, who looks like he can lead an NRL team around the pitch. Yeah, Jackson Hastings' transformation for me has one of, been one of the most enjoyable things to sit back and watch in the media um, before my transition into coaching. I think that uh, the way that he handled the situation when he left the NRL, went over there, didn't kick stones, gave himself to the community of Salford, um, and they received him really, really well off the back of that, which made him grow into that uh, man that you're talking about. And then obviously he had success there at Salford and, and Wigan. But um, I've really enjoyed watching Jackson transform into the, the man that he is today. Um, and from his playing style, I think early on when I watched him at the Roosters, um, he was sort of a bit make it up as you go, you know, happy-go-lucky sort of kid and could come up with some amazing things, but still didn't understand what 80 minutes of footy looked like. Um, you go to watch him in the Super League and he, he just, uh, a switch was flicked and he just became this uh, magnet and, and transferable energy to everyone around the team and they responded to everything that he did. So, you know, bringing that back to what he's done the last two weeks, moving in the number seven jersey is, you know, Luke Brooks is a good player um, who probably... Um, is probably 
more of a ball runner and less of a thinker, if that makes sense. And you look at Jackson, you know, Jackson can see the game and sees where we want to be and how we want to end up and why we're doing this and how we're going to get to this point. So I got a chance to call him on Saturday night uh, firsthand you know, on radio. And you know, I said the easiest difference for me is that Luke Brooks probably um, asks you to get into position, you know, or, or you know, whereas Jackson Hastings demands it. And if you don't get there, he will call you out for that because, um, and that's you know the old saying from Wayne Bennett was, teammates not best mates. You don't have to like everyone you work with. And it's impossible to like everyone that you work with. But if you've all got the same common goal and all respect each other as teammates, then you're going to be able to get it done. And you know on Saturday night they played a good South Sydney side who had a few injuries and probably aren't South last year. But um, I just saw Jackson Hastings demanding his troops to get into position. And they've responded from his energy because it is so transferable. So he is um, up there with Adam Reynolds as the buyer of the year and something that the West Tigers have, and Luke Brooks have needed. So, uh, yeah, he's, he's a cool cat too. I love everything he's done. He's a great follow on social media because of all the charity work and everything he's done. But um, I can't wrap him up too much more because we play him on Sunday afternoon. I'll be helping try and pull him apart a little bit. <laughs> yeah, well, I think West Tigers, I think something really good, 97, 98% completion rate under him. And that's just because he looked so relaxed. And even if they made a break, he just took, if they had to take one in to complete the set, that's what they say in it in rugby league, you know, completed sets win games. You don't have to score from every set, do you? Yeah, well, he was two things. Um, so he, the other night, there was a play that sort of broke down and he could have chipped and chased and rolled the dice. And I reckon a younger Jackson Hastings would have, but he ended up getting the kick away uh, downfield. It was a muddled set. Uh, and that was the, the maturation of Jackson that I've seen. Uh, but live in the commentary, I felt like he rushed the first two field goals because he kicked it from the week before. And, you know, when, you, when you're in those match-winning situations, you know, I say to young players all the time is you don't have to recreate that all the time. It's great when it happens. It's great when you kick a field goal to win the game or, you know, your, your play is part of the difference of why you win the game, but you don't have to recreate that. So I felt like he rushed those two shots on Saturday and he, he'll probably tell you, tell me to get, go jump, like whatever. Like he's, he's, you know, a rock star that can um, get it done from wherever. And I'm, I'm an old fat bloke who can't kick it more than 20 metres. But I just felt like um, if I was... If I was um, talking to him, I would have said, just make sure that we understand what we need when we need it. Um, because with the seven tackle set, which is, it's a massive play from 35 out. Uh, if you take one more and you're direct with your approach and you miss from, from 30 out and it's off a good play, then you can sort of live with that. So, but again, I'm, I'm no expert. He's probably better in position to tell me what to do. I want to go into your coaching now. Obviously you've, backroom staff with the men's side and then you led the women's side at St. George Yellow Dragons I think to the grand final in your first season with them and now you've just been a part of the, the women's blue side as well for preparations coaching always something that you fancy going into and you could see progression and you've got goals you know head coach uh, about saying uh, all, all nah, that. I didn't I didn't see coaching like I it's hard because people ask me that and you know, a guy that's covered pretty much my whole career the other day, he said, I've always seen coaching for you. I said, man, I I didn't see it. Like, you know, I probably wanted to just be, you know, fill up the water bottles or something like that. But uh, the opportunity last year to be a kicking consultant um, grew into, you know, with a few changes. Obviously, Hetty um, was the NRLW head coach and he put the squad together and got an opportunity to go up to first grade. And, you know, he deserved that. So, I had to come in and learn on the ropes. I learned pretty quickly, you know, learn on the job, what, what it took to be a coach. And I'm still learning. I think that's the difference in my approach is as a player, I was so self-absorbed, but as a coach, you've got to be thinking and wanting to learn the whole time. So, um, yeah, it's it's been a, a rapid six months um, in terms of making the grand final. Obviously, we didn't get the job done. So that sort of burns a little bit, but... Um, yeah, I get the chance to prepare for State of Origin, which, as I spoke before, is, is such a, a huge environment. And Queensland won last year. I think they've won the last two, so we, we need to be ready to go. But, um, yeah, coaching, 
I probably wanted to do it when I was older, if I was being totally honest, because I love my family. I love being around my girls and watching them grow up. And you know, the last three months has been hard at stages because I am not home at night. I'm not reading the books, you know, like I was probably when I was in the media. And, and that's a sacrifice that I'm making now so that I can hopefully help them in a couple of years when I'm you know, still coaching. Um, but people have asked me if I want to be an NRL head coach. I don't think so at the moment. Um, you know, obviously things change. I didn't think I'd be a coach at all so so quickly. But um, yeah, I respect what Hook and Hetty and Peter General have done for me in terms of teaching me on on the go and um, yeah, what it takes to be a head coach is. I think you do need to be a little. Um, trust and and stuff like that. So. Uh, I am still learning all that, but yeah, it's been a, a pretty whirlwind. Uh, what is it? Four months. I've been going. I've only been going seven months, so and I've got a lot of grey hairs. I have to. Get, I used to get my hair cut like once a month. Now I'm getting cut once a fortnight because all the greys in my beard. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, yeah, yeah, you know the stresses of what it's like now to be the one watching the team. Yeah, and I like. My first season, I was very intense. I was Craig Bellamy-esque. You know, I was F this and F that. And um, through some self-reflection, you know, I, I mean, I need, I need to find a balance because if I do that, I'll, I'll, um, I'll not enjoy it in five years. Um, but I also don't know any other way because I am such an emotional energy sort of person. So I need to sort of not, not be myself. And, and that's what I said when I came into the job. As a coach, I was, if you watch any of my games, I was an emotional player and I just, you know, if, if I didn't, if we lost and I didn't want to shake your hand, I didn't shake your hand, I didn't care. Like it was, I, that was it. It was all about winning for me. So um, I can't change too much from that. Otherwise, I'm going to get away from the person that I am that, that sort of helped me get to this spot. Now, obviously, there's a British based website. I have to ask this. I know you've got a young family over there. Um, we were talking about coaching at the minute. I think when you left London Broncos, you you wanted something you said was that you you enjoyed your time here and you you, you would be back. Now there's always jobs going up. There was a job at Leeds, obviously uh, that's just been been taken. There'll be a job at Hull KR coming up soon. Obviously that might be too soon with Tony Smith departing. Could you ever see yourself making the the move to to England with Super League in a sort of coaching role? Well, I think you look at firstly opportunity. Um, you know, if, if an opportunity came up to be in charge um, of a, a first grade club, especially in the Super League, um, yeah, you've, you've got to weigh up the opportunity versus what you're leaving behind. You know, um, the lifestyle over there, taking the young family over there with no family or friends probably would be a hard move at the moment. But that's not to say that I wouldn't be open to uh, potentially one day, you know, looking at that. I think, like I said, I'm seven months into it. Hopefully, what's a long coaching career, um, but also, you know, keeping an eye out. You know, I know Rowan Smith just got the job at Leeds, and um, yeah, Tony Smith and and all those guys. And I've got, I mean, we've got Ian Millwood at the club, so I know what the Super League is about. And um, yeah, I feel like, yeah, the the connection that you've got to make with your players has to be all in. So yeah, if I did decide that you know I wanted to be a, a full-time head coach, you know, it'd have to be a big commitment from me and my family to be able to go over there and um, yeah, be fully invested because you know when I got the NRLW head job, it was not it was not a matter of hey I'm coaching the girls and I'll be more concentrated on the NRL. Like I was all in, um, yeah, and still doing the NRL stuff. So yeah, if a job sort of comes up, I guess you you want to cut your teeth somewhere and. You know, I've loved every minute of, of coaching the girls and, you know, being, being in charge, but also learning about different people's struggles to get there because that's the, the best part about rugby league is the stories, right? That's why we're doing this chat. So, um, yeah, I don't think that I'd be on anyone's radar at the moment in terms of coaching in the Super League, but uh, if it happened one day, yeah, I'd be very excited um, to take an opportunity. But at the moment, loving at the Dragons and, um, yeah, so the, the girls are... They're loving, they're wearing their red vest, and maybe it might be St. Helens way, way, way down the line. Yeah, St. Helens, obviously, Justin Holbrook is at the Gold Coast Titans now. He was, he was in the NRL coaching, came to St. Helens, had loads of success, got his chance with Gold Coast Titans at, at the minute. Christian Wolf, Tonga head coach, loads of success with St. Helens now. 
and he'll be leading a nice transition. He's going to be a head coach. Christian Wolf's got a lot of huge raps over here from a lot of players. Um, what he's done for the Tongan team, even Hooks worked with him. Uh, he's got, yeah, he, he'd definitely be um, in the short list of if coaches were, if teams are looking to make a change and what he's done, not only for St. Helens, but yeah, that the Polynesian connection is such a huge responsibility to be able to handle. And if they, you know, if the, if the Tongan squad love him so much and, and they do, um, it's a huge rap to him and his personal skills, his personable skills. So, uh, yeah, he's got a, a huge rap over here, not only from the players, but I'm, I'm a massive um, Christian Wolf fan. And obviously Tonga have become such a strength under him. You know, if not but for a call, they'd have been in the World Cup final a couple of years ago, down under. This year, again, they're one of the favourites. They've got such a strong side. I, I wanted to sort of just before I let you go, Touching the World Cup, obviously, in the media yourself, you'll be keeping an eye on the World Cup. Australia. Yeah, I'm trying to get a, trying to get a gig somewhere. Um, I've talked to, I'm friends with Jenna Brooks, so I know that that name's very uh, formidable over there. She's carrying Sky Rugby League, whatever she's doing uh, at the moment. But I'm um, trying to get a gig over there, so if you can pump me up and come over and cover the games, that would be awesome. But, um, yeah, I think that, it's a it's a challenging time for Australian rugby league because um, yeah we we're not the number one ranked nation whatever that means because we don't play international so I don't really hold too much weight in that but um, yeah there's been some change and it's sort of shifted a little bit and, and I'd be interested to know you know how England are going to go with you no know, Wayne Bennett and, and moving on from that because they, I felt like they moved on from it so quickly like they never really gave it a chance to manifest into into what they wanted it to be. Um, New Zealand, how do they bounce back with Michael Maguire? You've got Tonga and Christian Wolf, but this Australian side, like, no one, I mean, everyone will say that we're favourites and we, we are deservedly, rightly so, but it, it'd be an interesting time because you've got a lot of guys there that are going to be playing for Australia for the first time that haven't played together, uh, whereas the English guys sort of connect and, you know, you've got some some hard-nosed players over there that can play in those conditions. I think that plays into, into England's favour. And um, if you had to play it, what is it, 2022? If you had to play it last year, I think England were a better chance to win it last year than what they are going to be this year. I think that, you know, you look at the form of Cleary, you know, Luai, Isaiah Yo, like, if they probably missed their window with, with COVID, if that makes sense. I think the rest of the nations missed their window. And that's not saying that arrogantly. I just look at, the best 10 players in our comp and they're all Australian and they're all going to be in that Australian side. So um, the conditions may pull them back a little bit, but yeah, I feel like that it might be an Australian New Zealand final um, come whenever that is. But um, of course the women's world cups over there as well, you know, the Australian side, uh, the Kiwis have had the, the, the wood on them the last couple of times. So it's a big time for rugby league. You know, England's such a fantastic place, so passionate, as I said. But, um, yeah, if you had to, I think Australia might show everyone how dominant they are off the back of. If you're watching any of the NRL games, just watch the Penrith Panthers and Melbourne Storm and just see why, and then you'll know what I'm talking about. Well, obviously, Melbourne Storm for this morning, for us last night, for you, 70 points. Yeah. Years. I was sitting on the couch. I was sitting on the couch with my wife and... It was 14 10 at half, 16 10 at half time. And as soon as Dallin Wetene's Lesniak went down, um, and hopefully he's okay, but they lost him and Josh Curran in the space of, I think, a minute. And I just said, This will be 50. And she said, No, it won't. And I said, It'll be 50. And it was 70. And she couldn't believe it this morning. She thought I was making it up. So uh, that's what I mean. You got Munster, you got Pappenhausen, you got Harry Grant, um, Jerome Hughes is a Kiwi, Bromwich is a Kiwi, but you know, Grant Pappenhausen and Munster with Cleary, that might be the, you know, that's leaving out Tedesco, that's leaving out Turbo. You know, like we've, yeah, it's the state of origin last year was at a really high quality for both sides. That's no Cherry Evans either. Um, so that's why I said, yeah, I think Australia will be hot favourites. Yeah, Australia packed with talent. Even the likes of Bradman Best, he could have played if it was last year. He was a potential for Wales. Now I've seen his name thrown in the hat for uh, New South Wales in the centre spots. Yeah, he's a little bit 
I think he's got a little bit way to go, Bradman. Uh, they're struggling at the moment, Newcastle. Um, they're, fine, they're really struggling to find ways to get him involved. He's such a powerhouse runner, but um, sometimes if you're waiting for the ball out there, it, sometimes they just don't get it to him in time. You know, that's their style um, doesn't really bring him into it um, at the moment, but he's got to get opportunities as well. So, you know, we've got Stephen Crichton, you've got, as I said, Tom Trebojevic, Zach Lomax. Uh, I don't know if you watch much of the NRL, but there's a guy over here called Sasifa Talakai who scored two tries and Cronulla. Like, just go back and watch Cronulla v Manly. Um, he's a two tries and, he, and multiple assists, was it not? He's like he's huge. Connie Haral. He's yeah, like yeah. Connie Haral early days, like yeah, Akila Uate style where they've just got spiders on them and you just don't want to go near them because they're just too hard to tackle. So, and I've played against Connie and I've played against um, Chucky Uate and those guys, man, when they're running full steam, you don't want to be in front of that. <laughs> Obviously, Oral's still enjoying his time over here as well. St. Helens now, Christian Wolf. Yeah, he's coming back. I think he's coming back to the Dolphins. But again, that's that. Um, one thing I learned about coaching earlier doors, but I probably knew it under Wayne anyway, is that personable connection. Um, and yeah, Christian's look like he's got that with the Polynesian um, guys and Connie. I think Connie's playing better than, you know, um, what he has the, the last couple of years off the back of that. And sometimes that little change or tweak can do that. So uh, I'm keeping up the date with all the Super League. We don't get many games here, but yeah, I'm sort of, um, yeah, when the Tony Smith thing came up, I was interested in how that all unfolded and yeah, I've been watching uh, the Aussie guys over there, Jay Fields try the other night. I mean, why would you kick it? That's the stuff that Billy Slater was doing to, to teams over here, you know, open space, kick chase line. Yeah, as a coach, that's nightmare stuff. Um, so I don't know if you guys have the seven tackle rule over there, but um, they may need to bring that in because Jay, if you kick it to Jay Field at the moment, it's a try. Yeah, he doesn't even need second seven tackles if he just catches it, he's off. I mean, the Dolphins you mentioned there, you just you've just thrown a little one there, common hurl potential link there. Dolphins have been linked with everyone. I think one of our biggest stories on site, even in the UK base, was the Dolphins because everyone's interested in the Dolphins. They're linked with everyone, aren't they? Cameron Monster. I mean, if you link yourself here, Wayne Bennett. <laughs> the room, you might as well. I <laughs> sent you a text yet? Nah, <laughs> nah I'm uh, I'm inked with the with the dragons for yeah, this season yeah. uh, NRLW and then hopefully um, trying to get extended but we'll wait and see what happens yeah. but the thing with the Dolphins is this you know for for Super League there's going to be a lot of guys over there that are going to get opportunity because they need to get 34 players so I think Morgan Knowles uh, is a yeah. player that is at St. Elms he's a forward he's just swapped from Wales to England solid forward he's been he's been thrown in the hat for a potential NRL move there's a couple of forwards yeah, I think what turns what turns me off Super League, guys, is the transfer fee. I'm like, you know, we don't have a transfer fee over here. So if you're out of sorts or a player or you want to buy a player, you pay the player. You know, the, I, I understand it's different there, but, you know, like Canberra um, paying, having to pay the transfer fee and the whole John Bateman thing, like, to get, you know what I mean? Like, I think that turns a few clubs off is we've got to pay the player. 500,000, whatever it is, and then we've got to play the pay the club two fifty or or one hundred and fifty. Like it just doesn't make sense. So, you know, if you can get that transfer fee waived, I think there's plenty of opportunities for um, Super League players if they want to come out and test themselves in the best comp in the world. You know, if you if you're a young guy, like I played with a couple, I played with Andy Ackers, who's at Salford now, I think. Um, at England and I told him to get out there this was 2016 I told him to come out to Australia him and um, young Cunningham as well was there um, to come out and test there just come out because hookers and sevens you know were drying up you know good quality hookers and number sevens and they probably still are a little bit out here so uh, but again like the transfer fees some of the transfer fees is just be turning clubs off because they it's uh, expensive. You don't get anything for it. Well, you don't get anything for it. Yeah. Well, it's exactly. cash. Because obviously 
Newcastle Knights bought Dom Young when he was quite young. I think he was only 17 at Uddersfield. Harry Rushton went over to Canberra very young as well. So I imagine the idea there is they've, they've signed, they've seen potential, signed him young while probably the fees are a bit smaller than you like. So the big player. Yeah, that's right. And Dom, yeah, I think Rushton made his debut on the weekend. I uh, didn't get a chance to catch that game, but the Raiders are struggling at the moment. Uh, Dom Young, yeah, we previewed him pretty heavily. I think he was injured uh, against us. But yeah, those two guys, again, if you're 17, 18, you got nothing to lose. Come out and, and give it a crack because um, if you get the 2023 and you're killing the Super League, I don't know if too many clubs will pay the uh, transfer fee. That's that's my opinion. That's I'm not saying that on behalf of St George or the NRL. I just think that it doesn't monetary doesn't make sense unless you're a John Bateman, um, you know, or the elite of the elite. But even then, we've seen you know the crowd played against Sinfield and all those guys. Like, yeah, you know, I think the transfer fee turned a lot of clubs off because you just don't get any reward for it. Yeah, do you just you mentioned Toulouse earlier? Just, Super League, you see any players now in the Super League that you think could make it in the NRL? Well, I'd be interested to see um, Jai Field, where he lands, because I feel like he's the game right now is made for Jay or Jai or Jay. I don't know what we're calling him. Jay, week, yeah, Jay. We were told by yeah, the Jay. media it's Jay, yeah, because I was right, like, Jay. Jai, yeah, yeah I, I should know that because his girlfriend works for the Dragons. But um, yeah, I think like the game's so open for him. We're seeing like Reese Walsh and those guys. Um, get opportunities where they can. Um, you know, if he's sort of worked on his game a little bit toughness-wise. Um, I'd be interested, there's a fullback at Hull. His name escapes me right now. Jake Connor? Yeah, yeah. I he's thought he was a seven, though. I thought he was a seven or a six. Uh, I know he's yeah, going to he, the fullback role. He's played multiple, and he's so at, in, at international level, he's sometimes centre when he gets in there. He plays fullback, plays six and seven. He's quite... Yeah. Like got 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 good utility on him. Yeah, I, I watched him French play. Is, French is over here playing at Wigan, and yeah, I think Bevan's. He's sort of that. You know, the the wingers these days need to be hundred kilos or close to. You know, because they get our set started, and I think the game in England's a little bit different to to NRL. Um, but Connor, I watched him. I actually called the England New Zealand game in Denver, and. The raps on him there, and I've been watching him since then. So I don't know how old he is now, but yeah, you know, I feel like every year he waits not to come over uh, is a wasted opportunity. But the hard thing for you know, I played with Dan Sarsenson. The hard thing for when outside backs come to Australia, and you know, Gareth Whitup and that may tell you differently, but it's a lot different adjustment to the forwards. The forwards pretty much it's the same; it's quicker, but you can you shoulder to shoulder on an edge. You know, there's a lot. Bigger centers over here. There's a lot bigger, a lot more plays. There's a lot more speed. There's a lot more, you know, pulling you apart a lot. So I think the outside backs, especially, have struggled coming over to Australia. I'm talking centers. I'm talking, you know, five eights. Uh, we saw George Williams have short time, short amount of success. You know, obviously Gaz is the exception, but you know, I feel like you know, if you're a seven or six, and you want to come out early. You're going to learn from the best to, to ever do it. You know, like Newcastle's got Andrew Johns, you know, Wayne at the Dolphins. Like, you know, there's, there's people out here wanting to teach young players to come out. Yeah, I think the Johns, have they been linked to the Samoa job? I think I read. I think they're going to do, I think they're going to do it. I think they're going to do Samoa. And there's one off test against Tonga maybe later in the year. But uh, again, though, like, yeah, there's, there's, there's so much knowledge. It is, and you know, for me, like he's Queenslander. But if you listen to Billy Slater talk rugby league, you can never get Billy Slater on this podcast. You won't have to ask him a question. You just let him talk footy, and you you'll listen to that podcast probably twenty times because he is the best. I think the best analyst, along with Joey, in terms of pulling the game apart. Well, if you've got Billy Slater's number, feel free to send it over. I'd love to. <laughs> Mate, just get him on the DMs. Just get him on the DM. That's how yeah. it all works, bro. I've took an hour of your time, so I, I appreciate it. You know, I feel like we could talk all day, every all day. But uh, your day's just starting there. It's just it's quarter to one here. But I appreciate your time the last hour. Um, best of luck with the coaching role with the ladies' side. Best of luck, state of origin later on in the year. And obviously with the Dragons' men's side and 
best of luck against the West Tigers and, and good luck trying to keep Jackson Hastings quiet in that game. Yeah, no worries. I appreciate your time. And uh, yeah, I think that growing the game is important. So if you need anything, um, don't be scared to, to reach out and yeah, previews on Origin or, or definitely um, finals time. You know, it's only a Zoom call away now. So just uh, hit me up. But yeah, appreciate your time. Thanks for listening to the Love Rugby League podcast. Know someone who shares our collective love for rugby league? Let them know about this podcast and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. Eager for more rugby league news? Visit loverugbyleague.com. Sports Social Podcast Network.